G'day and welcome to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigao and on this show we're examining biblical concepts and ideas and asking ourselves the important question, is it relevant today? Or is it as outdated and ridiculous as baby wipe warmers? Yes, you heard me correctly, some people have baby wipe warmers. Our show today is titled, Who is My Neighbor? In the 70s, a seminary professor at Princeton University got a number of theology students and asked them to write a very short presentation about the Good Samaritan. And then he divided them into three groups. All of them were sent across campus to give the presentation. Now, he made sure that the way he was sending them would go through a narrow path. Essentially, it was less than two meters wide. And on this path, he asked the student from the drama department to fake that he was passed out on the ground. What the theology students would have to do to get by him was to literally step over him. Now, he put them into three groups. The first group he called the high hurry group. And this group he told that they were already late. You need to go across campus, give your presentation, and your grades will depend on this. The second group he told, you're on time, but still, don't be too late. Head over there now. And the third group he told, well, you're pretty early, you have time, just make your way there. And what he was looking at was how many of these students would stop to help the person who had passed out. And what he found was actually quite disappointing. It was kind of sad. The people who are in a hurry, only 10% of these theology students stopped to help the person in need. The people who were on time, 45% of them stopped to help. More than half didn't actually stop. And the people who had a lot of time, they found that 63% of them stopped. It's interesting to think about, right? These people are going to give a presentation about the Good Samaritan, but most of them didn't stop to help someone who was passed out. They would rather step over them. In fact, if you add the three groups together, what you find is that slightly more than 60% didn't actually stop. Now, as we get into the story of the Good Samaritan, I just wanted to set the scene. A lot of the people think about the parable itself, and sometimes they don't look at the context in which Jesus gave this parable. The parable was given in answer to a question. So we're going to start in verse 25, where it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying. From the very beginning, we find out that this is a lawyer. Now, this isn't your typical lawyers today, your divorce lawyers, your criminal lawyers. No, this was a lawyer that was an expert in Old Testament law. But notice that it says, he tested him, saying. Straight away, we find out that this person isn't here to actually find out the answer to the question. This isn't his goal. His goal is to test him. The Pharisees and chief priests often would send people to follow Jesus around and try to trap him and trick him. And it appears that this is what this gentleman is doing. Now, I remember hearing a story of a gentleman who would go and help out at summer camp. At the beginning, he would get the students together and he would explain to them what was going to be done and certain rules they had to follow. And he'd say, you know, the boys have to stay in the boys' dorm and the girls have to stay in the girls' dorm. You can't go into each other's dorms. And, you know, the mess hall, you can't come into the mess hall within the two hours prior to when the food is going to be served. And a bunch of other rules. And he said that every time, every year, there was one student, at least one student who would stand up and test him. They would say, well, what if a bear came at me? 
Could I then go into the girls' dorm? Now, I'm assuming this wasn't in Australia, as koala bears aren't that vicious, well, as far as I'm aware of anyway. But anyway, he would say, what if there's an alligator chasing me? Can I escape into the mess hall even within the two hours prior to the food being distributed? And you can see that these kids, they don't want an answer. They're just there to test the people. They're just there to kind of annoy. They're trying to press some buttons, and it appears that this is what this lawyer is trying to do. And he says to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We'll explore the answer that Jesus gave just after this song. cannot feel when my wounds don't heal Lord I humbly kneel hidden in you Lord you are my life so I don't mind to die just as long as I'm hidden in you. If I could just sit with you a while, if you could just hold me, nothing could touch me. Though I'm wounded, though I die If I could just sit with you a while I need you to hold me Moment by moment till forever passes by When I know I've sinned When I should have been Crying out my God Just hold me Nothing could touch me Though I'm wounded, though I die If I could just sit 
with you a while. I need you to hold me, moment by moment, till forever passes by. Sit with you a while. I need you to hold me, moment by moment, till forever passes by. Moment by moment, till. Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? I'm Marius Jigao, and today we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we've so far discovered that the lawyer who approached Jesus was an expert in Old Testament law. And he asked him a question not to find out the answer so much, but in order to test him. And Jesus does what he often does when people ask him these kind of questions. He replies by answering the question with a question. And he says to him, what is written in the law? You're a lawyer, right? You should know what's written in the law. How do you interpret it? What's your reading of it? And the lawyer says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The answer he gives is a very good answer. In fact, it's the same answer that Jesus gave when another lawyer came to him and asked him, What's the greatest commandment in the law? The answer he gives is actually from the Old Testament. The first part is from Deuteronomy 6.5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. And in Leviticus 19.18, it says to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies, You got it. Well done. 100%. You have answered rightly. Do this and live. And here, as Jesus is speaking to him, his heart is being convicted. Now, I've read a number of theologians who argue that Jesus was being sarcastic, but I don't believe that this was the case. I believe that Jesus loved this man. Jesus wanted to save him. Jesus wanted to answer in such a way that at the end of this conversation, the man would be one step closer to eternal life. So he tells him, you've answered rightly. He says, do this and live, and you can see that this man's heart is being convicted. The man then realizes his sinful nature. He realizes his need of a savior. I believe this is the goal of the answer that Jesus gave to him. And then the man says, Who is my neighbor? But Luke specifies for us that he wants to justify himself. And the reason he's doing this is because he's being convicted. I don't know about you, but I have to admit that I've done this a number of times myself. When God is convicting you and when you're resisting and fighting it and you pick on this and pick on that and pick on this and try to fight that conviction, I have to say I've been guilty of that many times. And this is what this man is doing here. 
He says, ah, who is my neighbor? Again, his answer is extraordinarily clever, because this was a discussion that existed among the scholars and the religious leaders of the day. They knew the law in Leviticus 19.18. They were trying to find a way to suit it with their perspective. And the way they thought about it was like this. Well, obviously the Samaritans and the Gentiles, they're our enemies, right? So they can't be our neighbors. But what about those within our own community? Which one of them do we consider neighbors? Do we consider these unlearned people who don't even try to keep the law? Are they our neighbors? No, I don't think we consider them our neighbors. In fact, you actually see this being played out as the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to take Jesus and the officers come back like, no man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees say to the officers, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. You can see that they're not thinking that the crowds, these unlearned people, are their neighbors. This question, who is my neighbor, had been going on for a long time. And in answer to this question, Jesus responds by giving the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we'll explore just after this song. Just as I am without one plea, but that that love was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to
Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today? Right here on Faith FM. I'm Marius Jigao and today we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we've so far discovered that the parable of the Good Samaritan was given in answer to a lawyer who was trying to test Jesus. He loved this lawyer and was trying to bring him to salvation. Now when the lawyer asked, Who is my neighbor? Jesus answers, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan is so dense, it's so packed that you could literally spend tens or hundreds of shows unpacking it. Today, we're just going to touch on some of the points. The first one is that he's going down. It says he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's heading away from the holy city towards Jericho. Now, Jericho in Jesus' day was a city that was around an oasis. It was a place where the wealthy and influential would come and hang out. King Herod, in fact, built a place where he would go there during the winter. And many of the other wealthy Romans would come and they would spend time there. So you can see the direction of travel of this man is he has his back to the holy city. And he's going down. He's going towards what this world sees as valuable. And on his way there, he gets in a bit of trouble. You see, the pathway from Jerusalem to Jericho, when one was traveling this way, what you could do is you could take a shortcut if you wanted to, but to take this shortcut, you'd have to go through a region called Wadi Kelt. And essentially, what this meant was the valley of the shadow of death. I believe that it's this valley that David writes Psalms 23 about. And essentially this valley, the way the topography was, made it an ideal location for thieves and robbers. They could hide out without being noticed, and they could attack so quickly that you wouldn't have time to escape. And this is what happened here. We're told that he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Again, here we have the story of the fall of mankind. Satan is identified in the Bible as the thief who comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And this is what's happening here. The man has been attacked, he's been stripped of his clothing, he's been wounded and he's been left half dead. Satan loves to humiliate us. After the first sin, the very first thing that Adam and Eve noticed was that they were naked. They were filled with shame. Satan loves to shame us. In fact, if you have a look at the story of the seven sons of Shiva who tried to cast out this demon and the demon-possessed man said to him, Well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And he beat them so badly, but he didn't just beat them. When they escaped, they actually escaped naked. The demon-possessed man had stripped them of their clothing. Satan loves to shame people, and many times when people were demon-possessed, the demon would make them tear their clothes and become naked. Satan loves to shame us. The parable continues, Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. I can imagine what this man's thinking. He's on the ground, barely breathing, and he's like, Oh, yes! It's the local pastor. Praise God, I'm saved. And... When the pastor sees him, he takes out his iPhone and, you know, he starts scrolling and scrolling, pretending not to see. Now, I don't know if you've done this before, but I have to confess I've done this on a number of occasions. You enter a shopping center and you see these little setups in the middle that are trying to sell you perfumes and creams and all other kinds of stuff that you don't need. And when they make eye contact, you know that you're going to be stuck with them for a while. So what I do is as soon as I see them, I take out my phone and I start scrolling until I walk past them. This is what this pastor did. 
The next one is the Levite. The Levites were the ones to whom it was entrusted to look after the temple. It's like the deacon in the church. Now he doesn't walk past straight away. He does something else, which we'll examine just after this song. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander And hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur And hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. That God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there 
proclaim, my God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, where we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. We've just seen that the priest or the local pastor walked by, but the Levite or the deacon does something different. We're told that when he arrived at the place, he came and looked and then passed by on the other side. So he came and looked. He came and evaluated the situation. He stopped, he had a look at him, and I can just imagine what's going through his mind. He's like, oh, I don't know if I can help this guy. He looks like he's almost dead. And, you know, these wounds look like they're pretty fresh. It's quite likely that these robbers are still very close by. Maybe they'll attack me. What if they hurt me? What's going to happen to my wife? What's going to happen to my family? Who's going to look after my children? And I have this important position in the temple. What's going to happen then? You know what? I think I'm just going to say a prayer for him and I'll be on my way. Now, what happens here is really sad. Because if anyone knew that they should be helping this person, it should have been the religious leaders of the day. Then we're told, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Now, in today's culture, when you hear the word Samaritan, what comes to mind is, oh, a helpful stranger. He's going to help him, right? But that's only because we've had 2,000 years or close to 2,000 years of having this parable told and retold to shape our understanding of the word Samaritan. In Jesus' day, the word Samaritan meant something quite different to what it means today. It had very different connotations. You see, when this man would have seen that there's a Samaritan coming, I can just imagine he's lying down there and he sees someone else is coming. And he's thinking, oh, maybe this person will help. And as he gets closer and closer, he realizes, oh no, it's a Samaritan. I'm done for. This guy's going to finish me off, right? Or at the very best, he's going to spit in my face and walk by. In fact, Jesus, when the Jews were trying to insult him, they said, you are a Samaritan and have a demon. The Jews were thinking, what's the worst thing I can say about him to insult him? Hmm, I know, you are a Samaritan. Now, this Samaritan, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. This word really stood out for me. He saw him and he had compassion. Compassion is different to pity. I imagine that the other two also had pity on him. They saw him and thought, ah, poor guy, wouldn't want to be in his situation. And then they passed by. They probably had pity on him, but they didn't have compassion. You see, compassion leads you to action. With compassion is a way that the Christian behaves. You see, Christians are followers of Christ. If we behave without compassion, we're not Christians. 
because we're not followers of Christ. You find this word compassion referring to Jesus so many times throughout the Gospels. We're going to have a look at a few of them. In Matthew 15.32 it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Here you can see that Jesus looks at them and says, My heart is moved. I have to do something to help them. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And here he's seeing people that are blind and he just feels he, he has to help them. In another verse it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This again is the gospel story right here. Jesus came to us. He saw that we were wounded. He saw that we were naked, wretched, miserable, poor and blind. And he was moved with compassion. I wanted to ask you today, how does this play out in your life? When you see someone in need, is your heart filled with compassion? Or is it just filled with pity? When you see someone asking you for help, what do you do? Do you say, well, I'm going to help this person? Or do you make excuses? I make a point when I see someone asking for help to give them help. If I see someone begging, I'm going to give them some money and I'll try to help them out. And believe it or not, I've had people get really angry with me because of this. They're like, oh, you know, you're not actually helping them. You're just enabling them. You don't know what they're going to do with that money. They may just buy alcohol or they may use it for drugs. And my thinking is, the Bible is pretty clear. I don't know, maybe I'm just looking from a too simplistic perspective. But as far as I see it, the Bible says in Luke chapter 6 verse 30, Give to everyone who asks you. Now, the way I see this passage is, it doesn't say, If someone asks you, make sure that their need is genuine. Make sure that they're going to use the money not to get onto drugs or bad things. Make sure that none of that will happen. And if you agree with how you think they will spend the money, if all of this criteria is checked, then offer them help. No, the Bible says, give to everyone who asks you. The Samaritan had compassion and he actually did something about the problem he saw. And we'll explore what he did just after this song. My worth is not in what I own Not in the strength of flesh and bone But in the costly wounds of love At the cross is not in skill or name in win or lose in pride or shame but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross I rejoice in my Redeemer greatest treasure wellspring of my soul Trust in Him, no other My soul is satisfied in Him alone As summer flowers we fade and die Fame, youth and beauty hurry by 
But life eternal calls to us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might Or human wisdom's fleeting light But I will boast in knowing Christ At the cross I rejoice in my Redeemer Greatest treasure Wellspring of my soul Trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. Do wonders here that I confess my worth and my unworthiness, my value. My ransom paid at the cross I rejoice in my Redeemer Greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul I will trust in Him, no other My soul is satisfied in Him alone Welcome back to Is It Relevant Today, right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Marius Jigao, and today we've discovered that the Samaritan had compassion on the wounded man. He didn't just have pity, he had compassion, meaning he didn't just feel sorry for him, but he went and did something about it. We're told that he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. These words, and took care of him, really stood out for me. You see, what we're told here is that he puts him on his own animal. Presumably he has to get off his animal to put this man on and to walk beside it. And he brings him to an inn. And after he brings him to the inn, he doesn't do the bare minimum. He could have said, well, you know, I've bought you here. I've done my duty. You can kind of look after yourself. No, he takes care of him. I want to ask you to look in your own life. When someone who's in need comes and solicits your help, how much do you help to offer? Do you do the bare minimum? Or do you go out of your way to do as much as you can to help? Here we're told that this is what the Samaritan did. He took care of him. He says on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. You see, the man looked at the situation and said, I want to help him out completely out of this horrible situation that he's in. I think he'll be better in a couple of days. So I'm going to make provisions for that for you. But just in case I'm wrong, and if it's going to cost a little more, just let me know. You know me. I come down this route all the time. I always stay at your inn. If he has further need, let me know and I'll sort it out. Many theologians have suggested that this is a type of what Jesus has entrusted to the church. He has asked the church, which is represented here by the innkeeper and by the inn, 
to look after those in need. And when he returns, he will make sure that we are not shortchanged, that he will repay us for what we have spent with interest. Now, I want to ask you to bring your mind to your worst enemy. Now, I can't really say I have any enemies that I know of, but as humans, there's always some people that we get along with better, some who are a pleasure to be around, and some who you don't want to spend as much time with them. There are some people who press your buttons and can get under your skin. So if you don't have any enemies, I want you to think about the person that you find most difficult to spend time with. Think about them. I want to suggest to you that the attitude that you have towards this person is the attitude that you have towards God. In Matthew chapter 25, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I heard a gentleman say it this way, and I thought it was an interesting concept, which I hadn't thought about. He said that God is omniscient, meaning that he knows everything. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere. At the same time, what this person suggested is that God is also all-feeling. Because he knows exactly how our mind works. He knows our intimate feelings. In essence, he actually feels along with us. When we go through pain, God, in some respect, himself goes through this pain. When we rejoice and are celebrating and are full of joy, then God rejoices with us. And if this is the case, and I believe it is, then when we are helping someone in need, there is some real sense that we are actually helping God. When we are relieving someone's suffering, in some real sense we're actually relieving the suffering that God feels through this person. This is why we're told, when you do it to the least of my brethren, you do it to me. There's an interesting statement that really touched my heart. It says, you love God only to the extent that you love the person you love the least. I thought, wow, that's really in line with what the verse says. Let me repeat that for you. It says, you love God only to the extent you love the person that you love the least. Jesus continues, So which of these do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Again, Jesus didn't say this parable to trick this man. Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted to save him. He put the story in such a way that at the end, this man's heart may be impressed and that he may be brought to a knowledge of the truth and to a knowledge of his need for a savior. The man replies, he who showed him mercy. One author suggests he couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. And Jesus replies, go and do likewise. I love the command that Jesus gives at the end here. He says, go and behave like this. Now I want you to ask yourself, who is your neighbor? How is this applicable in the city where you're living today? How is it applicable to you? Who is your neighbor? According to this parable, everyone in need is your neighbor. There's a passage from one of the founders of our church, Ellen White, which writes, Unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others in the family circle, in the neighborhood, in the church, and wherever we may be, then whatever our profession, we are not Christians. Let me read that again. Unless there is practical self-sacrifice 
for the good of others in the family circle, in the neighborhood, in the church, and wherever we may be, then whatever our profession, we are not Christians. I think this is in line with what the Bible says. Jesus has compassion if we don't behave like Jesus. If we're not willing to sacrifice things of our own for the good of others, then we're not Christ-like, we're not Christians. I want to ask you today, in what way are you putting your wife's needs ahead of your own? In what way are you putting your husband's needs today ahead of your own? In what way are you putting the needs of those in your church above your own needs or those in your neighborhood? My wife Gabrielle and I decided before we got married that we would put aside a percentage of our income to help those in need, to go into a gift fund. Now, this is, of course, besides the tithe that we give, we put a percentage aside to help those who are in need. And the reason I do this is because I realize I have a selfish nature. I tend to think of myself first. This way, if things are already in another fund that's not for me to use, then it's much easier when someone has a need, I would say, oh, here, I'll just take money from here and give it to you. I want to ask you, in what way are you using your time, your resources, dare I say your money, to help those in need today? Jesus said that this is how he will reply to those who have given their hearts to him when he returns. He will say, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, Well, uh, it's good that you knew the state of the dead. Well done. And it's good that you knew what happens during the millennium. You're a good Christian. It's good that you knew about the Sabbath. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It's good to know these things. It's good to have correct doctrines. Correct doctrines enable us to live a better life closer to how God actually wants us to live. But unless we're putting these in practice, having an understanding of the Sabbath or the state of the dead doesn't help you. The priests and the Levite who walked by the man who fell among thieves, they knew what they needed to do, but they weren't putting it in practice. What Jesus is saying here is, when I return, what I'll be looking at is, how are you living your life? Are you living out the principles I have outlined for you, or are they just theory? In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, but be doers of the work and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't just hear what you should be doing. And fill your mind with this knowledge, but actually put it into practice. I want to ask you today, how are you putting this into practice in your life today? Are you helping those in your community who are in need? How are you reaching out to them? Are you making an effort to find those in need? You may think, ah, oh, well, I don't know anyone in need. Well, you can always find them. How are you helping them? We're going to end today with the story of a young boy who was walking along the beach. There were thousands upon thousands of starfish that had washed up on the shore and they were dying there on the sand. And this boy was picking them up one by one and was throwing them back into the ocean. Now, these starfish were everywhere. They extended kilometers one way and kilometers in the opposite direction as well. But the young boy was taking them one by one and throwing them back in. And there was an old man sitting a little further away, just watching him. And after a while, he couldn't contain himself. He had to come to the young man and say something to him. He said, 
Young man, don't you realise that you can't make a difference? There's just too many of them. The young man picked up another starfish, threw it in the ocean, and looked at him and said, It made a difference to that one. I want to ask you today, who are you making a difference to? We thank you for listening today and don't forget to visit our YouTube channel called Is It Relevant Today? where we have video presentations on many topics including the one we've just been talking about called Who Is My Neighbour? We look forward to seeing you next week. I'm Marius Jigau. God bless and I hope you have a magnificent day. Far away stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross Exchange it someday for a crown Oh, the old rugged cross So despised by the world Has a wondrous attraction for me For the dear Lamb of God Left His glory above To bear it to dark Calvary So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown And exchange it someday for a crown To the old rugged cross I will ever be true It's shame and reproach gladly bear Then he'll call me someday to my home far away Where his glory forever I'll share So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down And exchange it someday for a crown And exchange it someday for a crown And exchange it someday for a crown
Sometimes we don't see how they could struggles that break our hearts in two. Sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see Him, remember. You're never alone. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see His plan. Don't understand when you don't see his plan.
You've been listening to Is It Relevant Today? If you have any questions or comments, please leave them on our Facebook page, Is It Relevant Today? But for now, thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next week. I love to tell the story T'will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and His love